The reason I say water is if there's water in your cream, then there are chemicals in that product that kill bacteria, which in the product, that's a good thing. Problem is our skin, and you know this, hopefully your listeners do, we're covered in bugs. Like we've got five, it's called the human microbiome. Uh, most people sort of understand that we've got bugs in our gut, you know, that are helping with digestion and hormone signaling and all sorts of fun stuff, but we're literally covered in microscopic organisms. And so if it's a water-based cream, then you have toxic chemicals in there that kill bacteria. So when you spread it on your skin, it's going to kill your natural born, naturally manifesting bacteria. Today's episode is brought to you by The Path to Inspired Action. This is a new six to 10 week program that I've just designed for men. It launches October 1st, and it is a program entirely and exclusively devoted to giving men an opportunity to come together, to open up, to share, and most importantly, let go of those stories, beliefs, those things that get stored and held in the body letting those go, being witnessed in community, and then making a profound shift in their lives towards creating aligned and inspired action. So defining the roles, the responsibilities, the commitments that we need to live out day in and day out so that when we set our head on that pillow at night, according to our scoreboard and our scale, we can honestly say today was a good day. That's what this program is about. If you are a man listening to this right now and you are interested, just go to the link in the show notes. We can hop on a call because this puppy is kicking off October 1st. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Today, we welcome to the show, Charles Mayfield. Now, Charles spent much of his life as a regenerative farmer. He spent his time, his energy, his love into raising pastured animals for his family, himself, his customers, his community. And about four years ago, when we first met, that's exactly what he was doing. And he attended one of my men's retreats. And right away, we jived, we linked up, our core values were in direct alignment. And since then, however, he's transitioned into the skincare space. And I truly had no idea just how deep the problems are in that industry. And in today's episode, we're going to discuss a few of the common skincare products that most people are utilizing. For example, sunscreen, some of the problems with that, what to look out for. And then we discuss for the bulk of the show, the benefits that animal fats can have to improve skin health. Charles's line of products utilize lard as the base ingredient, and you're going to get to learn so many incredible qualities that utilizing fats for our skincare routine can have on our body and on our health. So let's get right into it with Charles Mayfield. Papa Life has given me some uh, some power boosters. Let's just say, and you know exactly what I'm talking about. Even though I'm I'm tired, I think every waking moment, <laughs> it's definitely got some. Uh, I'm feeling the power boosters of of Papa Life right now. Well, the, the it's it's funny the 
I just went to visit a buddy of mine in Knoxville, and he's got a, a newborn baby. And I was playing with the baby and little, you know, as things happened, a little spit up. I, had, I took the kids by there because their new daughter's name is Adeline and my daughter's Adeline. And they, they've got older. Anyway, we were by there. And so I come home with this like little baby spit up on me. <laughs> and like six hours later, I'm taking my shirt off to, and, I, and, I, and it wafts into my nose. And it, it, it's like a power boost. It's like, oh, little baby spit up. Like, you know, it just... It doesn't take much, man, when they're that little and you just, you know, a little touch or a little look or they open their eyes, you know, anyway, I'm excited for you, man. Thank you. That's so funny that you mentioned that because our room continually smells like fermented uh, yogurt (laughs) with the amount because all he's eating right now is breast milk. So his poops. And then yesterday I just recorded a solo cast and I wasn't even paying attention to the, the camera in front of me. I was just just talking and riffing. And then I looked back at the footage and talk about spit up my entire, I had no idea, my entire right shoulder has just like this massive, massive, not just drool, but legit, uh, legit breast milk oh, yeah. from him. Yeah. Had, had some girth to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Well, on that theme, you know, this, this in, introduction to dad life for me has been, I've been learning so much and I know this journey's not going to end. And one of the things that's been really apparent to me is to the best of our abilities, like we want the products that Luca uses or that we use on him from when he, if he gets like diaper rash or experiences anything, we want it to be as safe and as healthy and as um, supportive to his health and development as possible. And that's really you know, Lauren, I, I'll give, I got to give it up to her because most of the research and most of that stuff she's doing. However, I get to see the products mm-hmm. and stuff that, that we get to experience in our house. And I know you've got two young ones. And so I'd love just to, to kick it off and start. You know, I know a big part of our conversation is going to be discussing the skincare industry, the detriments of a lot of the skincare products, but especially for babies. What are you, or young kids, what are you seeing out there? Is what is, what is touted as some of like the best products that, that by and large, if we do some research, they're actually not, not so good for our kids. Gosh, Mike, that's a great question. Well, I, and I, w- I would add, especially with infants, um, skincare for mom too. And, and we can get into the, you know, because our, our skin is our second stomach, it's eating things. And so toxicity on mom's skin, you know, is, it's going to it's gonna get into mom. And, you know, maybe that, maybe that shows up in, in breast milk or, or, or whatever. But yeah, I mean, this is going to sound flippant, but what I'm seeing is an absolute lack of of healthy products for, for for really most anyone in the skincare industry. Now, if you want to talk about kids and and how they're targeted specifically, mm. it's interesting. Um, so I would say the biggest target on kids' backs is sunscreen. You know, like spray it on, rub it on, you know, we've got every, every mom on the planet is, is absolutely convinced that every time their child goes out in a monicum of sunshine, they should be completely covered. And I'm not, I'm not here to, to necessarily bash sunscreen. There's some, there's some healthier alternatives out there. We're, we're developing one now, but that's probably the number one product that ends up on kids' skin at, at really the earliest age. I mean, even 
even taking infants to the beach, toddlers, infants, uh, all the way up to, to, to young sort of sprawling on their own kids. So that would, that would be the number one child product. Although the, the funny story, so I let my kids watch like the, uh, there's a PBS, it's the new Crocodile Dundee. I think it's like Outback with Jack or something like that. It's a, it's a nature outdoor program and it's on public broadcasting system. I've had this happen a couple of times where we're watching the show and this is a show for kids to learn about animals and the commercial breaks come on. And this is not an exaggeration. One, uh, one commercial, because there's three different commercials at every break and they just literally reordered them. One was for some childhood kid cereal, you know, backed by your, your favorite, uh, cartoon character. One was for, I forget the the second one, but the third one, and it, it moved around in rotation, was a childhood eczema cream. And so, Big Pharma has has jumped over into the into the children's television programming space, and they're already telling these kids, you know, first and foremost, is eczema is a dietary issue, right? You've got to there's some stuff going on with whatever it is you're eating, autoimmune or whatever, so. I don't know if that answers your question. Sunscreen is by and large the number one product, skincare product promoted to and pushed to moms for kids. And then now I'm seeing this dripping into, you know, I guess we're normalizing childhood eczema or psoriasis. Uh, The funny thing is when the commercial comes on now, I tell my kids to listen to the side effects at the end of the commercial because they have to, you know, (laughs) say them really fast. And so it's like side effects include, I think death was one of the side effects, you know, but they just say it so fast. And so anyway, those those are the two products that by and large are, well, okay, I'll add a third one. Toddlers, you know, you got diaper rash cream, you've got Vaseline is probably like the number one recommended, you know, just slather on petroleum jelly, uh, whether it's diaper rash or whatever, whatever's bothering the kid. You know, a lot of kids, young, young infants, will have dry skin. They'll just, they're growing fast and, you know, their skin's been in a, in a sous vide machine for nine months. <laughs> so it hasn't, hasn't come in contact with the air. So, but they're all, they're all junk. You know, if we were to pick, it's such a good point. So I'd love to focus for a little bit on maybe each one of those, or at least for sure the, the sunscreen and the Vaseline. You know, being a new parent and also being a new parent, I've gotten so much more perspective and also compassion for other parents out there because I really do realize we all love our kids. Like, that's the thing. Like, there's no questioning that. There's no effing question that damn near every single parent would lay down their life for their kids. So that's never in question, which is why I think topics like this or anything that potentially can be seen as uh, challenging someone's parenting style or challenging someone's intentions, like, first and foremost, we're both being clear that is not in question here. However, as new information gets out and or as we start becoming smart and hip to what all of these pharmaceutical companies, these manufacturers are really doing in super sneaky ways, then we can at least make informed decisions. And so it's not about necessarily shaming choices, but it's more about just realizing, holy shit, I'm doing the best I can with what I know. And as information continues to get out there and we've got people like you and and hopefully this podcast spreading the good word, we can start moving in potentially a, a healthier direction with that awareness. And in sunscreen specifically, Uh, Obviously, and I don't know, uh, really curious to hear your take on this, 
obviously every single product of skincare is going to have their own ingredients and their own BS or good stuff that they put in as well. Now, with that said, when I look, for example, I haven't looked at sunscreen in quite a while, but when I look at the back of a package, most always it's going to be a ton of ingredients that I don't even recognize, can't pronounce, etc. But is there any one or two ingredients that jump out at you if you are a parent going to a store and whether you were, let's put even the theory around sunscreen away, but just... Um, if you were to look at the back of a package, is there anything that you can say that calls out like, hey, this is a super common ingredient that parents, you need to watch out for. It's super toxic or harmful. Anything coming up like that? Sure. Well, I would say the the biggest culprit chemically okay. is probably oxybenzone. Mm. Uh, then you've got some, I want to say it's aluminum. And then the number one ingredient you should try to avoid is water. Well, so to make a cream, you take water and fat and you emulsify them, okay? It, it, when we get into talking about ferro, there's no water in our products. We took all of that out. Problem being with an emulsification is when you emulsify water with fat, you're creating, this is the story I have to tell. You cook bacon. Yeah, I re I'll never forget the bacon that you brought to, to the retreat way back when. I still yeah. talk about it. <laughs> That was, that was a fun time. That was the last time I saw you in the flesh. We have to change that, by the way. Yes, sir. So you cook your bacon. You've got your bacon renderings, right? And, and you, what do you do? You pour it into a coffee cup or something, and it just sits there for a month, for two months. There's no water in that cup. It's all rendered fat. Anyway, I figured this out. And so I, I started making creams just the way Google tells you to do it. So emulsified distilled water with I was using lard, and then I think I used beeswax as my emulsifier. Mike, it would make the most luscious creams in the world. And then seven to eight days later, they would turn black and go rancid, right? Because what I later figured out is it's the water in there that is a fuel, a food, if you will, for mold and bacteria. So even if I made my water-based cream in like this super clean environment, you know, the minute a consumer would open the jar, something's getting in there out of the air. And so the reason I say water is if there's water in your cream, then there are chemicals in that product that kill bacteria, which in the product, that's a good thing. The problem is our skin, and you know this, hopefully your listeners do, we're covered in bugs. Like we've got five, it's called the human microbiome. Uh, most people sort of understand that we've got bugs in our gut, you know, that are helping with digestion and hormone signaling and all sorts of fun stuff. But we're literally covered in microscopic organisms. And so if it's a water-based cream, then you have toxic chemicals in there that kill bacteria. So when you spread it on your skin, it's going to kill your natural born, naturally manifesting bacteria. There's also uh, endocrine disrupting potential with a lot of these chemicals and various things. With sunscreen specifically, I like to point people at the data. And so if you look at sunscreen use over the last 50 to 60 years, if you look at sunscreen usage, it's, it's an upward trending line, okay? If you look at the SPF value available to consumers, it's an upward trending line. So Usage has gone up. SPF, which is sun protection factor, has gone up. I mean, when I was, you know, 
when I was Luca's age, you had a couple of sun tanning oils, and I think the <laughs> highest number on the market was probably 10. And now you can go up to 100 SPF. You can wow. probably get 120 SPF, right? So as those two trends have continued to spiral upward, we would expect skin cancer to go down. That is not the case. Skin cancer has continued to skyrocket up. And so, yes, avoiding water in your product is a, is a pretty safe bet. I like to make it even more basic than that. And this is a fascination we have. I mean, we, we have a, an infatuation with being tan and, you know, getting outside and being in the sun. Love it. It's fantastic. Probably the California, you know, <laughs> surfer community back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s has got us all addicted to like, you know, hanging out by the pool. Problem is, that's the most intense time of the day, mm. right? So for, for the listeners that don't know, if your shadow is shorter than you are, doesn't matter where you are on the planet, if your shadow is shorter than you are, then you are in sunburn zone. In other words, if the sh- you know the sun's low, or in the wintertime, you know the sun never. In, depending on where you live, the sun never gets high enough to give you that much direct UV exposure. But a good rule of thumb is, if your shadow is shorter than you are, then it's it's the intensity is enough to give you a sunburn. But certainly, if you have hardly any shadow, you know, at noon or in the in the very very middle of the day. And we have this infatuation of just hanging outside and we have this uh, false sense of security, you know, because we, we've coated ourselves in this SPF. And what I tell people is just be a little smarter about your, we just went to the beach earlier this year with the kids and from 11, 30, 12 o'clock until about two o'clock, hey guys, let's, let's run back to the house and have lunch or let's put a hat on or, you know, and, and you know, Mike, we've got all this amazing technical light dries out really easy like clothing now we can you know we can wear this amazing stuff that keeps us protected so i'm running around on this on this topic a little bit but it's our relationship with the sun and it's sort of our hubris if you will like oh i'm just going to lather up in all this you know chemical laden 100 spf stuff and now i can go out and 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 what you're really doing is you're robbing yourself of vitamin d by doing that which is one of the reasons we really should be having sun exposure. So does that help? That's super helpful. And I love just the practical, simple wisdom. I'd never heard of uh, that shadow. And so that's something that I'm absolutely already going to take away uh, because I love that. Super simple. I will never forget that. And that's something very practical that I can implement with my family. And I know the listeners too. With uh, really quick on uh, Vaseline or petroleum jelly, is that typically a? I know it's typically a product that you see sold by itself. Is that typically in like mixed in other skincare products as well, or is that typically like a single ingredient type thing, or is there a bunch of shit in that? So Vaseline is a petroleum. It's a singular ingredient petroleum derivative. I think it's called petrolocalum. Okay, and. And, and I will say that it's the primary ingredient in neosporin. So neosporin is, is the most popular antibacterial, antimicrobial petroleum jelly product in the world. You know, you got to cut, you got to scrape, you got to sunburn, put your neosporin on it. Uh, interestingly enough, they did an efficacy study on the prevention of uh, infection between petroleum jelly, Vaseline, and neosporin. 
zero efficacy. So the prevention side of, yeah. Well, if, think about this. You get a, you get a microscopic cut or, or a big cut. You're supposed to clean the wound, right? This is, you know, whether it's hydrogen peroxide or alcohol, you get the, get the junk out of the wound. And then the, the role that the Vaseline or Neosporin, or I would even argue lard or tallow, the role that that fat plays is it, it creates a little hermetic seal over that wound to keep airborne bacteria from getting in, right? And so it's it's not that the it's not that what's in the cream is killing bacteria. It's the, the the presence of this petroleum sort of cap over the wound helps keep bacteria, airborne bacteria, from getting in. And so I just I found it interesting that it was a JAMA study or something. And so Vaseline and Neosporin on wounds. Was the, was the same efficacy. And yet, you know, Neosporin's like crazy popular. Yeah, that's so, so interesting. I think in damn near every single first aid kit and stuff like that, like typically there's some like antibiotic cream, but the amount of first aid kits that I've seen that have Neosporin or stuff like that, um, yeah, it's all over the place in every store or knockoff versions of Neosporin. So yeah, I think anybody listening will recognize that product. And Charles, you mentioned uh, a specific, I love how you said, I had a miracle moment in 2019. Can you share a little bit about that miracle moment? Because I'm really curious about lard, especially uses a skincare, because up to this point, and I've known you for a few years, but we haven't kept in super touch. Uh, but you're the first person that I've ever been aware of that's actually using lard in skincare. Uh, so I'd love to hear about that miracle moment. What was that catalyst? What was that aha that how did it shake out? Love the question. So uh, it, it happened in good segue. I got a really nasty sunburn. Mm -hmm. For for those that are going to watch this video, I was about as red as the shirt you're wearing. Uh, <laughs> I had been out in the sun for way too long, and uh, we were we were. It was a long day on the farm, so I I come home absolutely baked. It was an act of sort of desperation and ingenuity. I, you know, I live in a small town. It's late at night. All the stores are closed. It was actually the 5th of July. So, you know, post 4th of July shenanigans. And um, yeah, I had this awful sunburn. I had a jar of lard from our, you know, the pigs that we were raising that I was using to cook. You know, I've got this sort of cooking paleo background. We had some good time cooking when we were <laughs> on our retreat. And um yeah, it was a little bit of an act of desperation and a little bit of intuition. Uh, growing up, my mom would always keep a jar of aloe vera. There's another classic skincare product. She'd keep it in the refrigerator to keep it cool, right? Because if you got a sunburn, it feels cool. So I had this jar of lard in my refrigerator, pull it out, and I coated myself. Like, I mean, <laughs> you know, it, it, I put it, laid it on thick. So I put it on. In a matter of minutes, it soaked in. Like it was gone, like off my, my skin literally consumed it, right? That was cool. I was at night, took a shower, went to bed, got up the next morning, lathered up again. So two applications. In about two days, three days, my sunburn was gone, which was cool, right? It was, it, you know, I was hot for probably another day, but then felt much better. And then literally the sunburn turned to like this golden brown. It was gone. That was cool. But you, you know this, you know, you played around with nutrition and different workouts. You know, when you when you see something, you really start to pay attention. When 
when something happens. And so for the next probably three weeks, I was meticulously watching my skin because, again, the sunburn was gone like, like that. I never peeled. And for anyone that's ever been lobster barbecue red, you always, at some point, you always peel. And I was, you know, I'd check my shoulders, you know, because a lot of the times the, the really movie skin peels first, you know, because it's the skin's constantly flexing your elbows, you know, but no, nothing. I never peeled. And so that was the sort of the watershed moment of maybe there's something to this uh, smart lard, we call it. Interesting. And, you know, for people that aren't familiar with even the farming that you were doing, I mean, you were incredibly regenerative in your farming practices, like the highest of high quality ingredients. Cause that's, that's one of the first things that comes up, especially, uh, if, and when using an animal based product is like, that's the, the first thing that comes up to me is how are the animals treated? Cause most all the times the, the toxins are stored in the fat. And so the fat that you were using, even in that aha moment was like primo quality, correct? Oh, for sure. Yeah, we pasture raised all of so all the fat for our products up until up until January of this year was from pigs and cows that we raised. And and for those that don't, we we raised them in a pasture model. If you're not familiar with like a polyface farms, Joel Salton's farm in Virginia or White Oak Pastures, and I, I know you've done some work. Is it Bel Campo? You've played around with or you used to work with, used to work with them pasture. a while back. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Okay. And then there's perennial pasture. I mean, there's there's examples of this all over the country of sort of this regenerative pasture-based model. So we, I, I like to tell people we were sort of a, a microscopic version of polyface. So pastured pork, uh, every, you know, everything was out, moving constantly, uh, good for the land, great for the animal. You know, our animals have one bad day, uh, I like to say. Uh, but yes, <clears throat> only the highest quality. Our product does not exist without raising a healthy, happy pig. And we can we can talk about sort of the differences between tallow and lard. Um, we use both fats in, in our products, but we, we say the lard works in mysterious ways. <laughs> it does. But you have to raise a healthy, happy, pasture-based pig in order for that to, to, to ultimately manifest. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's in direct alignment with my core values and the values I know of many of the listeners here. So that's like, that alignment's absolutely critical, which is also why I'm so stoked we're having this conversation. And can you break down exactly, because I, you know, you, you sent me some of your product, which I've been just starting to use the last few days, which has been awesome. And when I looked at, uh, you know, some of the ingredients, there's not many ingredients at all, but you've got, you, you've got different, you've got the lard, is it tallow as well? Can you explain the differences between some of these fats and either how and why you chose them and how they respond in the body? Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with tallow because most people seem to know tallow. Um, you know, McDonald's cooked all their French fries and beef tallow up until the early 1990s. So people, yeah, if you didn't know that. I didn't know that. They don't do it anymore, but yeah, they don't do it anymore. But that's um, why their fries were so good. So... <laughs> Tallow, uh, tallow. I, I think tallow is a placeholder term for rendered visceral fat from a ruminant animal. So let's unpack that. Rendered fat, obviously you take the fat off the animal and you grind it up and you slowly heat it and it renders all the fat off and you, you can discard the little bits of 
biologic material, you know. Visceral fat, this is important. So uh, beef tallow comes from the kidney fat of a ruminant, now of a, of a cow or a steer or bull. Most tallow is beef, but you've got elk tallow, bison tallow. Think, think of any ruminant animal or herbivorous ruminant animal. They have this visceral fat inside their organs that is protecting. Can you explain ruminant real quick? Sure. A ruminant animal is a multi-chambered stomach animal that feeds on grass. And so what it will do is it will, it's got these multi-chambered stomachs and the first stomach, the first spot on in the line is the rumen. So it's the, think of it like this big sauerkraut pot. So a cow or, or a sheep or a goat or an elk, they go out and they eat a bunch of grass. Okay. And, and when I say grass, I mean pasture. You know, you can have multiple species of plant, you know, grasses, forbs, hell, they'll eat tree leaves. I mean, they're going to eat what they want to eat and get the nutrients they want. But anyway, that all ends up in their rumen. Think about like a big sauerkraut crock. And it's got all these bugs and microbes in there. And, and, and it will sit in the rumen and it will ferment. And in a couple hours, if you've ever heard the term, the cow chewing its cud, you know, it's like, well, we're just sitting around chewing cud. So they'll go fill the rumen, okay? And then they'll go find a shady spot. And after it's fermented for a little while, they'll they'll actually regurgitate it back up. Now that it's broken down, think about those bugs and, you know, think about what cabbage looks like going in the sauerkraut vat versus what cabbage looks like coming out, right? And so they'll, they'll burp this material back up and chew it more now that it's softer and, and less fibrous. And then they'll swallow that back down and it ends up going throughout the rest of its digestive tract, these multiple chambers of stomachs. And so a, a ruminant animal is a reference to them rumin, the rumen and them ruminating over this food. Very cool. I didn't know that. Thank you. This is one of the reasons why tallow, even from feedlot beef, isn't necessarily bad. Now, granted, that last three months of that animal's life, not real fun. Every cow gets grass for 14 to 16 months of its life. Fantastic. But more importantly, this fat is stored. The, 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 again, the visceral fat, the kidney fat of the beef, it's, it's organ fat. Okay? You've been to the store and you've bought a ribeye steak from your local grocer, right? And the fat on that ribeye is generally white. You've also gone to a local pasture grass-finished operation and you've bought a steak from them and you bring that steak home and the ribeye, the fat is yellow. Exactly. That is, that is beta carotene that has been stored up in this animal's subcutaneous fat, okay, to then be, when they go off to the feedlot, feedlot is devoid of beta carotene. Right, there is no beta carotene for sale or available in a feedlot. It's all this other junk that they're eating, and so the reason that store-bought steaks fat is white is because over that last three months of that cow's or steer's life, it was slowly leaching beta carotene out of its subcutaneous fat stores to give it the beta carotene that it needed to thrive and survive and. Be healthy or as healthy as it can be. 
So that's the difference between subcutaneous fat and visceral fat. Okay, the visceral fat is not a storage fat. And this is important when you start thinking about the toxicity of an environment that these animals potentially grow up, grow up in. The quality of the food that they are fed, especially with pigs and chickens. These are So pigs and chickens are monogastric omnivores. Hmm. Cows are ruminant, multi-chambered, stomached herbivores. Okay, and so how they metabolize their food, where they store it, this is this is all critical. All right, I, I got to get back on task here. <laughs> Tallow is the well. I just I'm fascinated I don't know how long by we have. this. I can talk to you forever. I'm fascinated by this. Keep going. So, so well, you said earlier, you know, fat is a storage. Mm-hmm. It, fat is the storage organ of pretty much any species, right? But certainly all mammals. Well, there's two types of fat. There's subcutaneous fat, you know, the fat around our bellies and, you know, the love handles. That's subcutaneous fat. Tallow comes from the visceral fat, internal fat of a cow. Okay, so if even if the cow's in a not-so-optimal environment and fed not-so-optimal food, that's not necessarily... In fact, it's almost never going to manifest in their visceral fat. They may build up more visceral fat. Um, You see this with humans, you know, depending on your diet and how you're working out and various things, you can put on added visceral fat. If you've ever had a DEXA scan, you know, they break your fat down into subcutaneous and visceral. So... You can, you can add or subtract visceral fat, but in terms of storing it, storing more things, that happens in the subcutaneous. So tallow comes from a ruminant animal and is the rendered visceral fat from that animal. Leaf lard, I'll jump to the pig. So leaf lard is the rendered visceral fat from a pig. And we use leaf lard uh, in our face food and skin food products, different ratios. But so leaf lard is the porcine equivalent to tallow, different different animal, but it comes from the same place. It comes from this visceral fat. And if you, you know, if you read your great great grandmother's cookbook, leaf lard was prized as a baking fat. It still is to this day, just no one knows about it anymore because because of the fact that it's visceral, it does not have a flavor or a smell to it. So if you're baking a pie crust or making biscuits or it's the fat's not going to impart any flavor or smell to your pastry. You let you let the pastry, you know, speak for itself. And so leaf lard is the rendered visceral fat from a pig. And then lard, our our, our super magic ingredient, is the rendered subcutaneous fat from a pig. So take that same ribeye example. You know, over here you got a pork chop and it's got a little fat cap on it, hopefully a nice thick fat cap on it. But that that fat on your pork chop is whatever subcutaneous fat the butcher decided to leave on, you know, as a little as a little flavor saver for you on the pork chop. And so with a pig, this is this is why this is one of the big reasons why I say the divine, the swine is divine, but the lard is hard. Okay, mm. you have to raise a healthy, happy pig because they're a they're a monogastric omnivore. 
they're, they're a four-legged human. So whatever they're eating, whatever environment they're in, all of those things are going to translate directly to metabolization and storage in their fat, especially, obviously, their subcutaneous fat. So you have to, not so much using tallow, but definitely using lard. You absolutely have to source that from a happy pig. Wow. And and Charles, with with cows, for example, like we hear a lot of, you know, grass fed, grass finish, using that sort of stuff. What should a a healthy pig be eating? What's the normal food supply or how to how what's the the diet of some of these healthy pigs? In a farming scaled situation. So, you know, you can talk about one pig in the backyard or you can talk about fifty <laughs> pigs, you know, raising for meat, right? But they're they're an omnivore. So one of the one of the beautiful things about pigs, I, I, I've written about this a couple of times. But one of the beautiful things is they can thrive on a on a variety of different things. If you put a pig out on pasture, it's going to eat some grass someday. Uh, some days it's going to be digging around rooting for grubs. Um, if you are raising pigs at scale, which we certainly were, then you are feeding them some grain. Most most of their feed is coming from you in the form of a of a grain of a of a milled grain combination. And I mean, it's uh, some use corn. We we decide we opted away from soy. We took the soy out, and so it's. But it's there's corn, wheat. Uh, uh, there was a snow pea. It's a it's a concoction of of various grains and and uh, you know protein. You need your crude protein. You need your fat, and you need your carbohydrates, if you will, uh, just just like humans. You know, you got your, your micro, macros and micros. But for me, I would draw the line at, uh, for, in terms of feed quality, I would draw it at non-GMO. Uh, mm. I, th- I think you get 99.9% of the way towards like an organic feed with with non-GMO just because it's you, you know it's not getting sprayed with all this junk. It's, it's getting sprayed with Stuff can be, but if, if the farmer, the grain farmer is doing things right, then it's going to be of, of the highest quality. And so we would feed a non-GMO freshly milled grain out of Virginia, hefty shipping bill to get it down here, but it was the highest quality stuff and, and it was freshly milled. So uh, I would occasionally sup- supplement when, when I couldn't get the feedback. They, they have a non-GMO feed I can get here locally, but it's it's pelletized, you know, for your listeners that don't know, you know, you can get a freshly milled feed or, or they'll run it through a process and compress it and turn it into these little pellets. And pellets are great. Problem with uh, pelletizing is it creates a lot of heat mm-hmm. and a lot of the enzymes and the various minerals and nutrients that you would get in a freshly milled product deg- get degraded or in some cases are non-existent in a pelletized feed. So, you know, there's, like like with anything, there's good, better, best, Mike. But yes, I, I would if you're going to be on the upper end of best, I would say a non-GMO soy-free feed, specifically for pigs, is what you should be feeding them when they're not, you know, rooting around and e- eating from the landscape. Very cool. Are you familiar, Charles? With uh, I don't know. I would imagine, like when I think about uh, and and this, um, it's honestly a topic that I'm pretty ignorant in, but I would imagine that if we looked at indigenous cultures or what were, I'm just curious, like what were people using, I don't know, 500 years ago, 
because obviously they had sunburns. Obviously, they experienced some sort of, you know, skin issues. And was fat what they were using back then? Or do you have any insights on that? I have a few. For one, they were eating a much healthier diet. You know, um, there there were no omega-6 fatty acid problems 500 years ago. <laughs> now, they were all half-starved, right? You know, acquiring food was much was much harder work back then. No, we, we, we respected the sun. We were up when the sun came up. Mm. You know, rewind the clock 500 years. We were up when the sun was up. And that, you know, if you, if you look into health, you know, that early UV, bright orange sun staring is like a new phenomenon now. But, you know, that early sun actually sets a whole lot of various, not only circadian rhythms, but it also gets a lot of, it's, it's inflammation reducing. There's a, there's a ton of benefits to early sun exposure. We also respected the sun a lot more. And how many swimming pools were there 500 years ago? You know, none. There was a swimming hole, but at noon, you were, if you were working and it was middle of the day, you were fully clothed, probably sweating your tail off, right? And you were hoping you had a meal that night. I'll add this 500 years ago, every meal or at least a couple meals a week, you and your entire family were elbow deep in the visceral and subcutaneous fat of an animal because you'd slaughter a, a pig or you'd hunt and kill a deer or an elk or, you know, na name the animal that was going to feed your family for that week. Well, you got to butcher it up. You, you would render some fat. Again, the, the rendered fat in a container will sit there and be just perfectly fine for months and months and months. And so as a general population, we were, well, let, let me back up. Skin care skin care as an industry was reserved for the top one half of one half of one half of one half percent of people wow. until the turn of the century, right? Because it, it, it was expensive. It was animal fat based. You did perfumes and whale blubbers and it, you know, you don't have to go back very far. So it was, it's always been reserved for, you know, the, the top 1%. It's only in the last 100, 150, 200 years, maybe at best, where we've started to see all these inexpensive, crap, you know, petroleum derivative products make skincare more available and cheap. And again, 500 years ago, the whole family was covered in animal fat every week, you know. <laughs> and and well. as it relates to sunburn, when we were outside during the most intense times of the day, we were typically clothed or... It was so hot, we went inside and took a break because it was, you know, back out to the fields or back out to the, you know, wood mill or, you know, whatever whatever was going on that day, back out to the, to the job. So we, we stayed away from the most intense times of the sun, typically 500 years ago. Uh, we recovered in animal fat, typically, regularly 500 years ago. And there was, there was no chemicals i mean it, think about think about what our skin came in, in contact with naturally 500 years ago it was air water and you know the occasional poison ivy plant you know and, and we learned to avoid those pretty quick
Wow, it's such a good point. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for sharing that. It makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, Charles, what are you seeing with people who are making the transition from using maybe more traditional skincare products? And what are you seeing with them using something like what you've got and using lard? Um, yeah. What are you seeing, brother? Well, uh, glowing, happy, uh, moist skin, you know, supple, glowing skin. Uh, we're seeing we're seeing a whole, I mean, you got two cat two sides to skincare. You've got you've got well, you've got two sides to skin issues. You've got the acute side of the house. So, you know, throw your sunburn, baby rash, uh, poison ivy, bug bites, chiggers, you know, acute stuff. And then on the other side of the coin, you've got chronic issues, eczema, psoriasis, chelitis, you know, uh, mm. rosacea. These are all sort of chronic ongoing skin conditions. And so on the chronic end of the house, we're seeing amazing relief, right? You know, it's, it's, it's not getting worse. In many cases, it's getting better. And then we're also adding on top of that, you know, a discussion with people. Well, are you addressing these things from a diet and lifestyle standpoint? Are you getting plenty of sleep? Are you removing, you know, processed sugars from your diet? And, you know, if your dermatologist isn't talking to you about sleep and proper diet, they're not doing their job. Over here on the acute side, you know, some, and, and bless my, my poor children. They have been along <laughs> for the ride with this from day one. And so whether it's chiggers or bug bites or whatever, like let's, let's put a little cream on it and see what happens. But they, uh, we're, we're seeing relief. We're seeing uh, faster healing. Uh, you know, you got, you got to be careful what claims you make in the skincare. I'm not making any claims. I'm just telling you people that use our product, people that use tallow. I would say any animal fat uh, is, is a far better option than mm. than anything else you're going to get at the pharmacy. Skincare has been dominated by the vegan community and plant-based fats and oils, okay? So shea butter, coconut oil. I, I mean, olive oil has a storied skincare tradition with with cultures as far back as we have recorded history. So we've we've had an infatuation with with glowing radiant skin ever since, you know, man and woman got together. And so so you, you see this, but now prevalent wise, that that's what's considered the the high end of natural optimal skincare are some of these plant-based fats. And I'm not here to say that they don't work. I don't think they work as well. You know, you're not a coconut, you're not a you're not a shea, you're not an olive. So you're a mammal, and 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 ironically, you're a, a monogastric omnivore, just like a pig. And so this is not me saying coconut oil is bad, even though it clogs your pores. This is me saying you're not a coconut. And so in terms of skincare, Mike, the, the three big things with skincare are whatever I'm putting on my skin, is it, is it, is it pH aligned with human biology? You know, we're, we run pretty neutral in terms of pH. And so is that, is that thing going on my skin, does the pH align with, with, with humans? Okay. Lard is perfectly aligned. Okay, then secondarily, how does the lipid profile, so the, the ratios of monounsaturated, polyunsaturated fats, you know, 
How does that break down? And does it align with, you know, if you, uh, I always end up coming back to Fight Club and the uh, the scene where they're raiding raiding the uh, liposuction oh places. Oh my God, I remember that to uh, to make soap. Yeah, so uh, I always come back to that scene. But if you if you took that uh, output from liposuction and 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 measured the ratios of polyunsaturated saturated monounsaturated fats. Lard would be a spot-on match to human biology. And then the third piece is, is sort of the trifecta of vitamins, but vitamins A, E, and D, those are the big three in skincare. And so if you've got a pH balance, if you've got a lipid balance, and then you've got naturally occurring vitamins that coincidentally with, again, with pigs and lard, so a pig metabolizes vitamins A, E, and D mechanistically the same way humans do. So it metabolizes them and stores them the same way humans do. You know, you vitamin D, right? In the summer, when you can get in the sun and your shadow is shorter than your uh, than your body, you should probably get out 15, 20 minutes, get plenty of vitamin D, and you're going to store that up. You're going to store that up in your fat. And when winter comes and you have zero vitamin D from the sun, because it's Unless you live, you know, between the tropics, right, where the sun stays pretty high in the sky. So, right, this is we've been doing this for thousands of years. You store up vitamin D in the summer, and you pull those vitamin D stores in the winter. And so, vitamins A, E, and D are stored in pig fat. And so, when you put it on your skin, it it works amazingly well. Walk me through what products you have and is there is it primarily just lard is lard is the main ingredient in all of them? Do you add any other things in there that you found to be supportive or was the lard and the fat enough? What have you found? Yeah, great question. So we we I've, I've talked about tallow. We use tallow in our products as well. So there's three okay. fats right now that we use. Yep, so there's tallow, lard and leaf lard. We lead with lard. It's 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 the it's either the number one or number two ingredient in all of our products. And if it's number two, it's only surpassed by leaf lard. Okay, so we have we have we have four products, just four. We have a, a face food neck up, skin food neck down. We have a sublingual. I don't I don't know if I sent you guys one of these or not. Did I send you an elixir? No. No, okay. I'll have to say we have a sublingual CBD elixir mm. that goes under the tongue, and so that's I don't know how much your listeners know about CBD. It's a it's a derivative of the hemp or marijuana plant. It's a cannabidiol. It's been shown to lower inflammation, reduce anxiety, help sleep. So we sort of use it as a supporting the skin from the inside out, mm. and then the topical creams are supporting from the outside in. So we've got those three products, uh, face food, skin food, and then the elixir. And then we just launched a product in April called Epic Dermis. And it's a portable, packable aluminum tube. Got one somewhere back here. Anyway, um, so we have four products. The, the Epic Dermis just comes as it is. It's got a really cool scent profile, sort of outdoorsy, naturey, basil, bergamot, wild spruce, and wild orange. It's, I think I, I do think I sent you some yep, of that. Yep. It's fantastic. That's what I tried. But our 
Yeah, I love that stuff. Um, but then our skin food and face food comes scented and unscented. Now we only use um, organic essential oils for our for our scent, and um, and so you know, funny enough, I thought from the beginning that our scented products were going to be way more on a scale of like consumer demand. I thought scented was going to like 10x unscented. Cause you know, I've got in my head like who wants to who wants to smell like a like tallow and lard? <laughs> and but <laughs> let me let me put your listeners' minds at ease. It doesn't smell. There's mm. people people always think that lard smells like bacon drippings. And I guess rightfully so. I can see that. But bacon drippings are from bacon. If you just if you just take the fat and render it, it I, I don't think it has hardly any smell. In fact, I think tallow has a more aromatic presence in the air than than lard does. Anyway, but we have a scented and an unscented product in in those two. And our, I would say right now our most popular product is probably the unscented face food, mm. uh, followed followed immediately behind that in terms of sales. I'd say our second most popular order is our what we call our skincare duo, where we just mash together the the uh, face food and skin food. But but and then it you know it's it's a mixed bag, scented and unscented. But yeah, just four products. I mean, I'm working on. I'm working on soap. I'm working on a deodorant. I'm working on a working on stuff. I love tinkering in the kitchen. You know that. And so, well, it's so rad to see yeah. again. Going back to it's so rad to see your transition and everything that you do since since I've known you. You put your whole heart and soul into it. And so, yeah, I'm excited to see what creativity comes out with the process that you've come across or the the products that you really dove into. And uh, soap deodorant, fuck yeah, we need that. We need that all, especially men and women. I mean, uh, the amount of toxic and spray deodorant and axe and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, oh man, we gotta. You're doing your part, brother. So thank you for for doing your part and making such a difference. And and as we close out the show, I'd be curious, do you have um, any closing thoughts on advice as it relates to someone who wants to take the next step to taking better care of their skin? We, we, we've lost a lot of intuition. I, I just finished listening. You're in La- yours and Lauren's uh, podcast maybe a couple weeks ago about food. Mm. And like intention, putting intention into food. And I, we, we've lost a lot of intuition. So I would tell everyone, relax. <laughs> You're going to be fine. And, you know, less is more. Less is way more. Like l- less soap in the shower, less shampoo, less mm. conditioner, certainly less conventional products. You know, this is one of those I get to talk about a couple weird things all the time. Like I get to talk about the fact that we're covered in bugs. And then I get to talk about telling people that I probably, I shower every day, but I probably only soap or shampoo two, three, four times a month tops. You know, we've lost our intuition. Like soap is great, but every time you soap up, you're stripping all the natural oils, all the natural things that your body has produced for thousands of years. And so, so 
I think that's a really good starting point for folks. You know, we we talked about water. Read the ingredient. If the first ingredient is water, you're you're better off using nothing than using that. And so that's and if and if they're so inclined, you know, uh, give give a tallow or an or a lard based product to try. It's a little goes a really long way, and uh, you'll see you'll see some tremendous results. But yeah, just just relax and. Eat good food too. Make sure you eat good food. Man, that just I appreciate just the the anchored groundedness in that recommendation. Like that just like for me, that's the most important thing. How can we slow things down? How can we simplify? How can we stress a little bit less? And what we shared earlier about parents, just recognize that so many of us are really doing the best that we can with what we got. And in light of all the responsibilities, the bills, everything by and large, you know, people's intentions and, and they want to get healthy. They want it and they're just doing the best that they can. And so, but the reminder to simplify, to slow down and to be compassionate with ourselves, I think is such an important message. So thank you for leaving us with that. And I'm super stoked uh, because you were kind enough to hook up all listeners with a discount. Um, if they use code the path. And so can you let people know where they can find your products, uh, any of the the products that you're selling and also potentially get in touch with you if they've got any questions? Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks, Mike. So our website is Faro, F-A-R-R-O-W dot life. Uh, Faro as a noun refers to a litter of piglets Hmm. and Faro as a verb refers to the birthing of piglets. So anyway, that's where the name comes from. But so it's pharaoh.life. And uh, yeah, our, our products, we're all direct to consumer right now. You're, I'm coming to you live from our fulfillment center <laughs> in my house. And so, um, but yeah, they can go to the website there. And then they just, when they go to checkout, there's a, they plug in the coupon code is the path, uh, saving 15% off. And then if anyone wants to reach out, we're, we're on I think it's Pharaoh Skin on Instagram, Pharaoh Life on Twitter, or you can reach out on the contact us page on our website if you've got specific questions and you're you're looking at the guy that'll answer. So give, give me a shout. Beautiful, brother. Well, thank you so much again for the discount you've provided for the work that you're doing and for this uh, super awesome conversation, my man. I really appreciate you. Thank you, Charles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.